Welcome to the Mavens Do It Better podcast. And now, your host, Heather Newman. Hello, everyone. Here we are again for another Mavens Do It Better podcast, where we interview extraordinary experts who bring a light to the world. And I am here with one of those lights for sure. Hello, Ron Carucci. How are you? Heather Newman, I'm great. How are you? Thanks for having me on your show. Awesome. Thank you for being here. Uh, where are you coming to us from today? I'm coming to you today from Seattle, Washington. Yay. Big hearts for Seattle, uh, for sure. That's one of my hometowns as well. Um, so we we got to meet through a, a, a wonderful woman, uh, Maria Contrera. And I was like, she was like, hey, you've got to talk to Ron about this book and all the things he's doing. And so everybody, I went and looked and and Ron, uh, TED Talk, uh, managing partner of Navalent. Um, you've been on the Harvard Business Review. I could probably go on and on and on. You're a Forbes contributor. You're a coach. And you have a fabulous book coming out that we want to definitely talk about today. So you got a lot going on, my friend. I'm busy. Not to mention also getting ready to move across the country. Yes. So it's a it's a it's a it's a busy season. Wow, that's fantastic. So, um, gosh, where do we start? You want to start? You want to do some origin story start? That's always kind of fun. You, you, you I'll follow you. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about uh, where you came up from. Where are you from originally, Ron? And you're moving home. Uh, uh, right outside New York City. Grew up uh, right outside New York City on Long Island. Um, youngest of five okay. siblings, typical classic New York Italian family. Yeah, awesome. And uh, you've been, been then, what brought you over to Seattle? So came out here 16 years ago, uh, partly for work. Yeah. That's when we started our firm. Uh, and it's also, I was, I was on the board of a graduate school out here, a startup graduate school, and came out here to help uh, run and grow that school. So was doing two full-time jobs for five years. Wow. Not, my, not my brightest career move. Uh, and then after five years, put it into the hands of more qualified people and uh, came to the firm full time. Right. And we'll talk about the firm a little bit. And that's Navalent. Yeah. Navalent. Yeah. So we're a boutique consulting firm. We've been uh, sort of most of us come out of large consulting firm backgrounds, but all have a passion for org psychology and org change. Yeah. Uh, and we spend our days traipsing alongside very senior executives of all kinds of organizations who are pursuing some type of disruptive or transformational change or they're in a ditch and they have to get out of the ditch. Or there's some great shiny object on the horizon they want to pursue, and um, we're about we're about helping them construct the path to get there. Mm-hmm. So we sort of work at the intersection of strategy, organization, and leadership, where sort of all those things converge into one thing. Uh, we that's where we tend to play. Yeah, and I know that. Uh, so obviously, we've we've all been through great change in the last year. Um, biggest things that you've seen trends uh with us all dealing with a pandemic and dealing with that kind of change i mean tumultuous change right yeah yeah trends that you're things that you're seeing or things that yeah i think i think the pandemic people are looking at a lot of things they're seeing in organizations and believing that the pandemic caused these things i actually think the pandemic revealed them Mm. yeah you know for the better and for worse we're seeing greater levels of compassion and greater levels of sensitivity much greater forced levels of flexibility in our work um, what's important really sorting itself out more naturally. Yeah. And uh, because we're working so remotely, we're having to sort of du- double down on what it means to actually connect and create cohesion in a team. And we're seeing the leaders who are capable of that step up. Yeah. Um, by contrast, leaders who were already predisposed to being self-serving or, or not giving great feedback or more navel-gazing and not particularly inclined to engage, we're seeing them go to the dark side. Right. So I think the pandemic uh, was a great awakening for leaders around what it really takes to unleash the best in people and how to sustain that versus, you know, trying to wring the most out of people before they die. Right. 
Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, I, I'm in back-to-back meetings most of the time. And I feel like that, I would feel like you're, you, that organizational change is about obviously technology and all of those things. But like at the end of the day, it's really about culture and humans, right? Like what we're doing with each other and how we do it. And that's yeah. where you, that's where you fit the business. Yeah. You, 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 you know, our last grade competitive, I mean, most of what anybody does can be replicated by somebody at some point, right? There are, there are some competitive differentiators that can, you can sustain for a long time, but at the end of the day, how you configure your assets of your organization, primarily your talent, Right. Um, is what's going to set you apart. Yeah. Um, you may have a product or a service or a, a patent or a technology that you can t- turn a market toward or create some momentum behind you. But at some point, someone's going to nip at your heels. Yeah. And if you aren't don't have the agility to pivot at that moment, and you can't marshal people, uh, especially if you're forced to it and it's a crisis, if you don't mm-hmm. have a, a resilient, agile, passionate workforce who feels like they're bringing their best their best selves to work every day. Um, you're going to find that out the hard way. Yeah, absolutely. I think that what is it, the great awakening, the great, all of those things, lots of, lots of words coming after the great dot, dot, dot for this time that we're all yep. in together. Yeah. And how many, how many books have you authored? You got a lot. <laughs> uh, the, the coming out this in May will be my ninth. Wow. Wow. Um, what was Glutton for, um, for punishment. <laughs> <laughs> well, and for the, what was the, you know, we always have the first book, you know, that's uh where did that where did the spark for that first book come from gosh well that was 20 something years ago 21 years ago um and that was about my peers so that was a me my written with my mentor Mm -hmm. actually my first it was my second book my first commercial book okay Um, but looking at at the time the consulting industry was really at a at a a a dark inflection point where books like consulting is insulting consulting demons right um, you know witch doctors you know, the people are throwing darts at us and well-earned darts. And yeah. we wanted to do some research on, okay, but we can't throw the baby out with the bathwater here. There's something good about what people from outside as trusted advisors and experts bring. What is that? What do right. people value in that? We wanted to start and try and figure out how to redeem it. Mm-hmm. And so the research became about let's, let's sort of redeem ourselves in our industry. Right. And find out what it is people really value. That was the research behind that book. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, fast forward 20 something years later, yeah. So, and uh, the book is called "To Be Honest: Lead with the Power of Truth, Justice, and a Purpose." Yep. Yeah, coming out May twenty fifth. You can pre order it now on please, Amazon. Everybody, please, 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 please do. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, so was- you know, I mean, look, if we doesn't have to, we don't have to look too far, Heather. Where yeah. I think the world is starved yeah. for something they can trust. They're starved for someone to tell them the truth, be straight with them. Um, so this was based on a fifteen year longitudinal study with more than thirty two hundred leaders. Oh wow. Um, there's a ton of research behind this. I interviewed dozens and dozens of executives, leaders, thought leaders, and it's a book of heroes. This is a book of stories that we want to emulate. Not this. It's not the Wells Fargo stories. It's not the Toronto stories. It's not the stories that make us wince, that make headlines. Mm-hmm. These are the stories we want to we want to that inspire us. And I got the privilege of curating dozens and dozens of people's stories here, and not just business leaders. You know, Jacinda Ardern from New Zealand. Mm. And uh, Marin Alsop from Baltimore, who leads the Baltimore Symphony, and people who have done extraordinary things to to model uh, what we learned that honesty really means. It's no longer good enough to not lie. Right. Yeah. The, the bar has <laughs> gone way up because yep. sorry, our experience has gone way down. Yeah. Our expectations have gone way up. And mm. so what we found is that strongly correlated to telling the truth is uh, 
justice, a sense of fairness mm-hmm. and dignity, and purpose, a, a sense of meaning. So it's you have today to be considered honest, you have to say the right thing, do the right thing, and say and do the right thing for the right reason, even if it's hard. Yeah. Um, otherwise, anything that falls short of that, you might be nice or well-intended or get good credit, but you're not going to be considered honest. Yeah. And I wanted to know under what conditions would people do that? I mean, you know, we, we blame the bad apples for things like Wells Fargo for a long time, but I think we all know inherently understand there's something systemic in the water or it wouldn't happen so widespread. Right. 5,000 right. people didn't wake up at Wells Fargo all on the same day and go, hey, here's an idea. <laughs> yeah. so, so then what was it? And, and I'm so tired of people saying, well, what's the culture? But what does that really mean? And right. so we, in our research, were able to dig out four, four predictive factors that tell us under these conditions, you are more likely to have people tell the truth, behave fairly, and serve a greater good. And under these conditions, you're more likely to have people lie, cheat, and serve their own interests first. And we inherently can turn otherwise good, honest-hearted people into liars and cheats. Wow. And those conditions that you're talking about, as far as like the good, the good stuff, is that something that it's that you that you're teaching, that you're, you know, or and that you're saying, you know, these are these are the method and the methodology is obviously in the book for that. Yeah. Absolutely. These yeah. are all conditions we create. create. There's, no, there's no mysterious pixie dust we have to sprinkle. There's no magical g- g- genetic, genetic gene, se- gene sequence we have to find. Right. These are all conditions we create every day in our organizations, and we can either create them intentionally for the greater good, or we, or by default, don't even think about them and create the conditions that lead us to the ethical fungus in the Petri dish. Yeah. Ooh, ethical fungus. That is an excellent, gross thing to say, and I love it. <laughs> I noticed uh, that, you know, I you... Also know that we were talking, I work at Microsoft for my day job. And uh, who, who did you interview at Microsoft? Oh my gosh, Kathleen Hogan. <gasps> Yay, her. okay. Love, love her. Yeah. And, 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 and I have her and Sakia's stories. Okay. I mean, Microsoft has held up with several exemplars sure. in accountability and purpose yeah. in those chapters. Um, and I, Kathleen's just uh, a hero. She's, uh, I wrote about her in my, one of my Forbes columns. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it was really fun to tell, tell your story. Yeah. Because it's such a good one. And Sadia, you know, drew from some of his work and his writing and um, his belief about what change really he needs to make at Microsoft and is continuing to make. Yeah. So it's a, it was a, it's a delightful, it's an inspiring story. That's super cool. And I, you know, I love books and like thinking through and like reading about it and talking about it. It's like, you know, it's, you have in there, it's actionable steps. You know, a lot of people have interviews and all of that, and those are wonderful. And it's great to read interviews with people, but it's it's interviews plus you've got actions in there for people to take, right? It's not just read the story and get inspired. It's read the story and do these things, and let's let's make that change that we all want to make. Right? Every chapter has um, so many many years ago uh, at a time in my life where I was you know, I needed some help. I turned like good Italians do, turned my big brother support. <laughs> sure. You know, in a New York Italian family, we don't mince words. Sentimentality is not emotional; it's practical. Right? right, we don't feel sorry for each other. We just, and and at a really hard moment in my life, my brother looked me in the eye, hugged me, and said, "Okay, get busy." Mm. And so I've ended every keynote uh, I've ever done since then. I've charged the audience with, "Okay, get busy." Wow. And so at the end of every chapter, there's a section called "Get Busy," mm. um, okay. with uh, "Here's what you need to go do." If you if you want to bring these things to life in your team, in your life, in your organization, here's how you do it. Yeah. And so uh, there's a, the, the, next week, by, by this week, we have an assessment tool called How Honest Is My Team? So you can take, you can go on to the website that you can, to, tobehonest.net, it'll be there. Cool. Um, and you can t- download an assessment tool and actually score on the set of, of the four findings, how, how, what, how much of the goods you're getting from your team and how much you're not. Wow. So we, we are trying to arm people as much as possible. So the thing we found, Heather, is honesty is not a character trait. 
honesty is a muscle. Mm. It's a capability. You have to be good at it. It's you know, you, it's not just something you are or are not. It's something you either work at being or yeah. by default you work at not being it. Mm-hmm. And so our goal is to say, take everybody to the honesty gym and work out uh, <laughs> and get everybody strengthening the muscle right. so that honesty is there all the time, particularly for the moments when you need it most. Yeah. I think also honesty, I love that. It's, you know, getting those bicep curls in on that for sure. It's honesty. Also, some people think it's about being nefarious or lying, but honesty is also about like, we lie to protect someone because we love them. We lie to, you know, uh, get something done quickly to help someone out. And, and so it's not always that negative thing that's happening. And that's also about honesty and that engine, I think, as well, that you're talking about. I totally, totally agree, Heather. And, and sometimes we, we, we withhold hard feedback because we think it's, yeah. we don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. Right, right. We, we, um, we pull our punches on a performance appraisal. Mm, sure. Um, we don't want to uh, tell a team how hard a decision is, so we try and mask it. Or, or we don't want to tell them we've already made the decision, so we make it look like it's their idea. Right. right. These yeah. are all, but these are all highly destructive. Yep. And ultimately cruel things. It's not kind to withhold the truth from somebody. It's cruel. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but, but, we, but our own lack of skill to tell the truth, our own act comfort to do it, to say the hard things, causes us to project our own you know, false morality on people and decide and, just, and self-justify it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at some point, you get a really uh, well-interested in, invoice mm-hmm. right, uh, that you have to pay with yeah. an interest. Um, and suddenly someone's like, well, why didn't anybody ever tell me? Yeah. Well, yeah, absolutely. Now you have to, have to figure that out. Yeah. I think also, I mean, we talk, we talk with friends about and colleagues about work-life balance, right? That, that phrase that we have. And I, I'm kind of of the, you know, a friend of mine also has a book work. It's called work-life balance. My arse. She's from New Zealand. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And uh, we were talking the other day about it and, you know, about the blend and, or there's, is it work and life or is it the whole kit and caboodle, especially because we're all, you know, we've a lot of us working from home and all of that. And like the separation of honesty at work and then honesty at home, you know, like, I feel like people are the same no matter where they are. And if you well, don't and at they, home, do you they, do it at work? You know, Heather, I think they want to be. I think yeah. people want to be themselves. The yeah. question is, is, has work become a safe enough place to be all yourself? Right. right? Or do you have to self-edit and hide parts of yourself because it's not become a safe place where mm-hmm. you can bring your whole voice? And yeah. that's, and that's you know, the, first, the first chapter in the book is called Be Who You Say You Are. Mm-hmm. And when the conditions are created where somebody has to say one thing and do another, um, and you and you institutionalize duplicity. You know, we say our mission and our values are this, but we actually really do this. Right. Yeah. You've now yeah. told people it's not safe to be who you say you are. It's yeah. only safe to be part of that. But we really want you to self-edit and conform. Mm. You're ju- you're just setting yourself up for greater problems later. I think we all want to be ourselves. I think you know, I, David White, one of my favorite authors and thinkers and poets, mm. wrote a book called The Three Marriages. Mm. You know him. You know, I, do, I know him. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, I haven't seen that so one, but yeah. His book is called Three Men, and it's sort of, it's sort of the follow-up book to um, Crossing the Unknown Sea, okay. which is a pilgrimage of life. Mm-hmm. And his book is about, he says that there's that work-life balance is a myth. Yeah. He said, what well, we should be striving for is work-life, intermar- work-life integration. That we have, we each are married in three ways. We're married to our, ourselves, we're married to our work, and we're married to our spouses. Um, or our significant others, or, or some part of a family, yep. and those three worlds can integrate. Yeah. Um, but to try and do that with a clock, 
or a, or a calendar or a, or a weekday <laughs> is foolish, right? right? You, are, you are married to all three of those poets 24 seven, 168 hours a week. Yeah. The question is how will you allocate your heart? How will you allocate your mind while you're being married to all three? And will any of them have to suffer because of the other? And sometimes they will, but have you, have you built an integrated life such that when one has to trade off for the other, everybody's okay with that? Yeah. That's really, I think, the ultimate goal. And I think that for me has always been the best sense for this, this to your point, my arse, right? Mm-hmm. It's such a mythical sense of balance. What does that really mean? And because right. people, people often think about it, it's about the hours, mm-hmm. right? If I spend, if I, if I proportion my time right across those two worlds, which, or, or now we, we're starting to com, come clear on, on the self-care issue. So the third world's starting to appear. Right. But it isn't just about the, 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 the volume of the hours or even the quality of what you do in those things, because it's not like the other two go on the shelf. Right. I'm going to self-care right now and forget about work or my spouse. No one does that. And so it's, there really is a whole bunch of good mental hygiene that is required for that. There are good practices. Um, and there's relational spaces. Have you built the relationships in those three spaces that can hold your ambitions to be integrated? Yeah, right. Like, like for example, your boss. Yeah. Have you negotiated with your boss the kinds of things that are important to you so that, that, that you, they can accommodate and support right. within reason what you're asking for? Most of us think our boss is just going to read our mind, right? <laughs> Why don't they know? Yep. Well, yep. would that clairvoyance was a competence that we all could get in our bosses, but it's not. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's one of those things where I find on a daily basis, it's 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 negotiating even sometimes the words. It's the words you choose. You yeah. know, words are so powerful, and you know, these days, so the the Microsoft management style of model coach care, which I yep. love, and I think is yep. super amazing, and and such a great thing to have in your mind as a manager. It's you know, it's like, and and we're all trying to figure things out with all the things that have happened culturally in the last, you know, in the last, I don't even know, decade, but in the last bit, if you will, yeah. you know, about how to talk to each other and, you know, do, am I saying the right thing? Am, am, I, am I an ally? What does allyship mean? What's this thing called covering? Like, there's <laughs> people are stumbling and, but I want to be in the stumble because that's going to get us to where we can walk together in a way again, you know? Yeah. Are you finding those words or permeating conversations you're having? I think people are trying to be better at being authentic. I think we get yeah. that covering is unhealthy. I think we get that um, our humanity, our fallibility, our vulnerability is now becoming, thanks to thank you, Brene, some of our best assets, right? It's right. Some, some of our, you know, I, I've been telling you this for years, your weaknesses are some of your greatest sources of credibility. Yep. If you own them first. If mm-hmm. someone else has to tell you about them and you ignore them, then you're, they're a liability. Right. But we think, leaders think that hiding themselves and trying to appear competent and appear, you know, all together and appear in control and hide their imposter syndrome is actually a very, it makes it safe for them. It's, right. a, it's a delusion because it's actually one of the most dangerous places you can be because where you are is alone. Yeah. Right. Your, your vulnerabilities, your weaknesses are, you know, exposed in, you know, in real time is one of the great, safest places you can be because now you have allies, yeah. right? People are not going to be your ally if they think you don't know you need one. Yeah, absolutely. And there's something about, I don't know, like when you talk about imposter syndrome and talking a little bit about like, I don't know, thinking about your brand, your brand, right? Or, or all of that. It's like, it's the authentic people that I connect with and want to connect with. You know, you can, when you feel somebody's being a, let's, let's say charlatan, you know, you get it. You can feel yeah. that and you don't want to be with them and work with them and 
in the theater, you know, and in a few seconds, somebody walks in the room and you're like, okay, yeah, that, that person or whatever. And uh, whether that's star quality or talent or authenticity or the whole kit and caboodle, you know, you're like, okay, you know, it's so funny, Heather. I, um, one of the questions I love asking audiences when I speak is how many of you think you have really great BS barometers? You just know when someone's blown it at you and half the hands go up. Yep. And then I ask, how come you are so confident other people's BS barometers aren't working when you do it? Oh, yeah. And then people go, there's the nervous giggle. <laughs> I think we all believe our own BS, right? We all think that we're going to, you know, we convinced ourselves that we're telling the truth. But the reality is people can see right through it. Yeah. And there's just no point in it. Right. There's, you, you get nothing for it. It's all it's also you can just be honest with yourself and tell yourself it's only self-soothing. Right. Yeah. You may whatever benefit you think you're getting in the room. Mm. You're not. Yeah. People are seeing going to see right through you. And, you know, if the, if the answer is I don't know, say I don't know. If the answer is I was wrong, I'm sorry. Say it. Yeah. You, you, whatever you think you're going to lose in credibility, you're just fooling yourself. You're going to actually gain credibility because now people will trust you. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, those two words, I'm sorry man, they are really difficult for some people. They will slay everything else under the sun except for those two words. And sometimes those are the only words that we really need to hear because it's different than I apologize. Right. I don't know. I think so. And I think, I I totally agree. No, I think if it's the fourth, I'm sorry. (laughs) Right, um, right. (laughs) It might start to ring a little hollow, but I do think that people need to know, okay, you screwed up. It happens. You you, you stepped on my toe. Do you care that it had an impact on me? Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. do you want to understand the consequence that I bore because right. of what you did? Yeah. I want to dig into the, so you have sort of a, you know, your trifecta of, you know, purpose-driven honesty and justice. Can we talk a little bit more about the justice part? And we sure. on that a little? Yeah. yeah. So have you ever heard somebody say to you, wow, I can't wait for my performance review? <laughs> um, no. <laughs> yeah. And we all know why, right? Yeah. Um, one of the most, um, what should be the most dignif- dignity-infusing processes in organizations has become, you know, demeaning, mm. demoralizing. Yeah. Um, actually, the, the you know the, the fact that you guys at Microsoft added the dimensions of uh, you, you move from individual contributor to leveraging others and helping others, right? The, the, yep. And so you've now balanced accountability to mean other things besides what I contributed. Yeah. Um, very powerful story because mm. it changes accountability. It it, it it puts growth mindset in action. You know, it used to be when you were responsible for producing X number of widgets a day or T-shirts or whatever you made and work was repeatable, Mm. your your contribution was separate from you as the contributor. It was it was objective. Today, in a knowledge economy, the fusion between the contributor and the contribution is almost indistinguishable. I am, you know, today my remit is a 100 T-shirts an hour. Today, my remit is my analysis, my ideas, my creativity, my um, radical thinking, my perspective. So when you evaluate my work, by default, you are evaluating me. Right. And yeah. so if you, if you as a leader don't understand the fusion of those things, <clears throat> you're, you're going to be unable to acknowledge that yeah. what has been given to you is a reflection of who this person is. So when you evaluate the work, you are evaluating them as a person. Mm-hmm. And, and our systems are just not set up for that kind of dignity. Right. So the yeah. justice part comes in when you add privileged roles. So in your company, let's be honest, engineers are privileged, right? Mm-hmm. In a branded company, marketers are privileged. Sure. So if, if everybody in your organization can show up every day, no matter who they are or what they look like, yep. and be as successful as anybody else, I've now unleveled the playing field. Mm-hmm. 
right? So I've removed dignity and I removed justice from the process, from the very process that accounts for my um, well-being contribution. You know, I, I, I showed up to one coaching conversation with a senior, very senior executive, you know, uh, just a while back. And I knew he was coming out of his performance review that day. We've been working on the fact that he was a top successor for a big job in the company and was still on track to get it. And, he, and, and I mean, he got into the screen and, and his neck was red and he was like veins popping out and he slammed. He goes, she gave me a three. I'm always a four. Just because the HR imposed a set of quotas now, I got the three. Who got the four? I mean, this was irrational. And I'm like, oh, took like two hours to back him off the ledge. I, I said, can you just send me the appraisal? And I, I wanted to read it and, yeah. and, I, and I'm ready. Like the words were fine. They were uh, uh, appropriately affirming where he was you know, doing well. He was still the top candidate for this job. Right. On track to get it in the timeline we assumed. The, the critique was fair. Mm-hmm. Our, our brains, what we know about our brains is we respond, our amygdalas are threatened. When we feel like we've been categorized, we feel invisible. We feel unseen. Mm-hmm. We feel unsafe. Yeah. And we feel missed. And so we react. So his trigger was not uh, unfounded. It's how all of us react when we feel labeled and misjudged. Yeah. Right. Our systems are set up to categorize, misjudge, and not see us. One of the greatest examples uh, a leader can do, if you want to do, do great accountability work, if you want to make the, level, the, the playing field level, mm-hmm. just simply say, now next time somebody brings you a body of their work to hand in their work, say, Wow, I'm sure I have no idea what that took. Tell me the story. How'd you do it? Mm. Just ask for the story. Yeah. And then listen attentively. You will be handed a gold mine yeah. of insight about this person, about what they fear, about where they struggled, about where they broke through, about where they needed help, about what they were scared of, about what made them most proud. And you will be given a blueprint for how to create conditions under which to get their best work. Mm-hmm. Just ask for the story. It's a simple tool, it's a simple tool but that's the fusion of contributor with contribution. And that's when you dig, put dignity back in the process. And that's when it becomes just. The problem is our, our performance appraisal systems worked hard to neutralize individuality to avoid lawsuits. But in our, in our neutering of individuality, mm-hmm. that's how we made it unfair. Because sameness is not fairness anymore. Right. We tried to scale sameness as if it was fairness. And back in the 70s, it might've been. Mm-hmm. But it's not anymore. And we've got yeah. to separate sameness from fairness. Right. Mm-hmm fascinating i could listen to you talk for hours by the way like amazing and i have a question so when when someone comes to the the firm and and or is sort of uh gets the book of course because you're all going to buy the book that's coming out may 25th on amazon so pre-order it right now by the way to be honest um how do you do you find that you you're getting executive teams that are bringing you in and saying you know we want to we want to do some organizational change or we want to look at how we're doing xyz or do you have sort of that sort of a mid i don't know say mid level manager or someone who is like this place has got to change and they find you and they're like could you can, can we figure out how to get you in here or what? You know what I mean? Like, or is it, is it a smattering of both? It's a little bit of both. It's yeah. Both. I mean, Microsoft right. has been a client on off, off over the years. Sure. Sure. Um, we just did a bunch of work in the marketing group on uh, influence, influence that authority. There's a hmm. whole new program coming out. Okay. Uh, we, we help build. Um, so I think it's, I mean, usually it's a, if it's a CEO, it's a, it's a CEO that's, that's tried to transform and hasn't gone well, or right. he's inherited a mess mm-hmm. or she's inherited a mess and they'll call and say, Hey, can you help us? you know, figure out how to do this in a more productive way. Right. Um, sometimes it's a, it's a lone wolf 
executive who has figured out that they're above their ski, they're over their skis, mm. or they've reached the end of their own toolkit or mm. techniques that just don't work anymore, or they realize you know they've been promoted to a much bigger job. Yeah, and right. Our last book, Rising to Power, was a was a ten year study on why is it that more than fifty percent of leaders who ascend to bigger jobs fail in the first eighteen months. Mm. Why and why is that okay? I mean, I get why it's okay for recruiters because it's an annuity, but why is it why are we why is that just a normally accepted thing? And can we do better? Right. So that book was all about the study of how do we help people stick the landing? And oh, by the way, if if fifty percent of them are sticking the landing, how are they doing it? Mm-hmm. So it's a leader who's found that book right. is trying to stick the landing and has said, "Hey, can you come help?" Mm-hmm. So yeah. it, you know, it's a variety of folks that, that find yeah. their way to our doorstep, and hope, you know, rarely it's, it's sort of it's a preemptive strike. Sure, but more more commonly, it's because they've tripped and skinned their knees and need yeah. to you know need a hand getting up. Yeah, you were um, a professor for a long time. Are you still a professor as well? I was. I'm yeah. not. I taught for 16 years uh, at Fordham University, and then I taught five years here in Seattle at the grad school that I worked at. Mm-hmm. I, I miss the classroom. I do. I love yeah. teaching graduate students. Um, I, I don't. I'm not as good at the undergrad thing. That's a different skill set than me. Mm-hmm. But I love graduate students because they're so eager to learn. And they're so there to really advance their own training for whatever career they've chosen. And so I, I, and especially when they're in the IO psych field, that, you know, I, lo- I love sort of helping to make better practitioners in the future. Right. Um, I'm hoping when I get back to New York uh, to sort of take up that mantle again. Yeah, that's cool. When you are sitting and sitting and want to relax and you want to listen to something, what's what do you turn on music wise? Oh gosh. Love jazz, love classical music, love gospel music. Yeah. Um, uh, sometimes I'll turn on a podcast or listen to a, a talk, but mm-hmm. yeah, usually words that do it. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I love David White. That his voice is. I mean, the first time oh. I heard him, I was like, oh, "What, what is he, happening?" He could just read the phone book. Oh my gosh! Right. <laughs> it's like- so if you haven't done it, treat yourself. He does it every year up here on Whidbey Island, oh. uh, and on Bainbridge Island, he does a retreat, a, th- a three-day retreat, where he just reads. He just reads. Wow. It's, he, he does a big one in Italy every year too. That's a little more expensive. But I, a couple of years ago, a friend of mine and I went over to Bainbridge for three days. Mm-hmm. He brings Irish music in. Oh, and he just does readings the whole weekend and there's breakout groups and there's retreats and there's walks. It's just a three days of heaven. Wow. So if you want, if you want to do some great self-care, yeah. sign, up for, sign up for his Bainbridge Island weekend. Okay. He lives up, he lives up here in Whibby. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Oh my gosh. That's great. And so, so we're sort of talking about music and now, you know, spoken word and stuff. Other ways, you know, you're a busy person, you're writing books, you're running companies and doing all that. What's, what are other ways that you, for our listeners, how are you dealing with uh, the pandemic? And so you know, I, I, yeah. I've really tried to commit to my, to self-care during the pandemic mm-hmm. and make sure that my physical health is good. So I, I work out with a coach three times a week mm-hmm. and I protect that. In fact, I just yeah. came from two hours ago because I know if I let, if I let that slide for a client or for anything else, I'm going to get bitter. Mm-hmm. So I put a boundary around that. And I, I, on the days I'm not with the working out with a coach, I, right. I work out in the gym here. Mm-hmm. Um, I love to, in the, in the weather, uh, outdoor weather, I love to bike a lot, um, play tennis a lot. In the winter, I love to ski. I've not skied a lot mm-hmm. the last couple of years, but those are usually fun for me. My wife and I used to love going to the movies. Yeah. Um, now we just stream them. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. Um, that's cool. I love to, uh, when um, theater is in session, we love to go to the theater. Yeah, yeah. My heart is in the theater. I was a, I was a theater major at University of Washington. So well, and I, had a, I began my career in the arts that okay. way. Okay, yeah. We had a theater company in Seattle in the early 2000s. So yeah, it's fun. You know, I was thinking about your, you mentioned a couple of times, 
we did a study or we did research and all of that. So all of your books seem to have a lot of that, that research and data behind them. And then you've kind of got a long game going with your books, right? So like should, after 15 years of research, this new book, you know, to be honest is coming out. So how, how does that happen when you're, when you've got like 15 years of research, like you had this idea 15 years ago, like talk well, about that. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a study, so it's 15 years of data. Okay. Okay. Right. All right. So okay. we we spent it was, it was about three years of analysis of the data. So we and okay. we got to use for this book and the last book we used AI. So we had the power oh. of IBM Watson. Wow. Uh, to actually do a lot of the reading and, and quantification and st- okay. statisticizing of the data, uh, mm. which is wicked cool technology. Yeah. You know that already. Sure, sure. Um, <laughs> so that was so the the ability to for that to read. I mean, and you know this, it's not just looking for word. It, it is reading the data. It's mm. like crazy scary. Yeah. And making meaning and quantifying statistically what this is telling us is scary. So, um, so that's how we get, we have the advantage of, we have the data, right. We're collecting it all the time. Sure. It's that we have a warehouse of it. It's just that we decided, Hey, it's our own big data. We yeah. should use it. Right. That's so cool. I love that. Cause I was like, I wanted to get the skinny on that. Cause I was like, how, what's that? What's that like? So yeah. Technology. Um, yeah. Technology. Hello. Yay. <laughs> That's great. Well, cool. Well, I'm going to um, wrap up with the last question I ask everybody. How about that? Yeah, please. Right on. Okay. So uh, very interested in sparks and moments in people's lives. Um, you know, sometimes they're those big ones and other times it's a word that changes things. Uh, wondering if you would share something person, place, thing, book, poem uh, that really seats you in who you are today that you would share with our listeners. Something oh, like gosh. Yeah. Um. You know, my mentor, who's been my mentor for 30 years, and she still is, she's like in her 80s now, but she's still a feisty, you know, butt kicker. She yeah. told me a long time ago, and I think it just has always stuck with me as a, a North Star. Mm-hmm. Um, nothing in life is irrevocable except death. Mm-hmm. You know, if you play like you have do-overs, you play better. If you play not to lose, you, you play safe. And, you know, d- 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 take your at-bats, take your shots. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, I've tried and, you know, even in my worst days where I'm fearful or anxious or feeling like an imposter myself or feeling like, oh, this is not going to be good. You know, I remember that you get do-overs. Yeah. You can say, I'm sorry. You know, if it goes badly, if it goes sideways, you can try again. Yeah. Um, and it's so much easier to say than do it. I'm so aware of that. <laughs> um, but, but I try to remind myself when I find myself second guessing a choice or, leaning away from taking a risk uh, to, you know, I'm usually, I'm usually telling myself a, a story of failure or a story of catastroph- catastrophizing yeah. in a way that's, you know, not anywhere near reality and try and walk myself back from that ledge and yeah. go for it. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. My mind that sticks in my head is a lot from my dad of saying, you know, really start with yourself. You can yeah. make change. You can try, but the changes you make a lot of times are you and how it reflects out into the world. Right. So, yeah. Thank you so much. What a pleasure to talk to you. I'm so excited about your book and, um, and your company Navalent folks, if uh, you're looking for um, some help uh, in some of the things that we've talked about, definitely Navalent is a place to go. And you've got this beautiful book coming out on May 25th on Amazon and I'm sure all kinds of other wonderful places. And uh, to be honest.net. Yep. 
Yep, absolutely. Yep. Um, for all of the good stuff there. And that's, is that sort of coursework as well? Or is it more there's about... Some, there are some videos and webinars in there. There's a bunch of articles and tools. The, awesome. the assessment tool will be there probably in a week. Come yeah. visit us at navelin.com as well. We've got great video, great videos and great white yeah. papers and a couple of free eBooks. Yeah. Uh, if, if you're looking to lead some change, we have an eBook on that. If you're looking to figure out the virtual workplace, have a new eBook on that. Yeah, that's awesome. So, and uh, two-time, two-time TED Talk speaker? Two-time TEDx Talks. You can find those on YouTube. Yeah. Or on my LinkedIn profile. Follow, please follow me on LinkedIn and stay yeah. in touch. Awesome. All right. Ron, thank you so much. What a pleasure. Really. Either my pleasure too. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. Everyone, that is another episode of the Mavens Do It Better podcast. And here is to another beautiful day on this big blue spinning sphere. Thanks, everybody. Thank you, Ron. The original music on this podcast was created by Jesse Case.